You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 255 of Podcateers. This week we talk about Avengers Endgame decimating records. Guardians of the Galaxy pays homage to different animation styles. Reservations for Galaxy's Edge go live. And we talk about our attempts to get a time slot. Plus, Gavin tells us about the Fantasyland Dark Rides. Remember, you can join the conversation on Instagram, Twitter, or on Facebook. Just search for Podcateers. Or you can leave a comment on the blog post for this episode at podcateers.com slash 255. We'd love to hear your thoughts on anything that we talk about in this episode. Hey, if you like our podcast and you'd like to give us a hand on continuing to produce these episodes, we have a simple way for you to do that. The next time you need to buy something on Amazon, start your purchase by going to podcateers.com slash Amazon. On that page, you'll find a large Amazon button that will take you to Amazon's homepage using our special referral link. And anything you buy will earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon for mentioning them on this podcast. If you're already doing this before each purchase, we'd like to take this opportunity to say thank you. Now, using our Amazon link is great, but if you want a better way to support the podcast, which can possibly even score you some cool swag, it is by becoming part of the FGP squad, or as we like to call them, our podcast fairy godparents. Uh, because it's largely their support that help make these episodes of Podcateers possible via their contributions on Patreon. A huge thank you goes out to everyone on the FGP squad for their continued support. And if you would like more information on how you can become part of the FGP squad, you can head over to podcateers.com FGP. So let's wrap up this intro, shall we? Let's just jump into the episode. Here is episode 255 of Podcateers. flavors in the little Coke bottles will come in that vanilla orange thing. Wait, what? At Galaxy's Edge, because I'm drinking one of the last few cans of the vanilla Coke, and I started wondering. Uh, Maybe. It looked like they only had three, so I assume it's Coke, Diet Coke, and Coke Zero. And then then the tall one was Dasani Water. (laughs) So... We shall see. Yeah. Who knows? I saw one the other day that I want to try. It was called like California Raspberry or something. Like, Oh, yeah. There's a couple. I want to try that one. Like, I'm way more of a raspberry guy. There's that one and there's a peach one or something. Really? Well, yeah. It's, it looks like it's in good. vintage type packaging. Yep. I've seen it before at a the little, store. A little four pack of bottles. It's a four-pack, yeah. It caught my eye because the bottles and the packaging just looks kind of vintage. And I saw that raspberry one, and I thought of you. Well, um, the other day, Charlie and I were in, what was it, like Old Town Orange, where they've got um, Watson's Soda Fountain. Have you guys ever been there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Dude, it is so cool. And we both got cherry Cokes, and it's like the old style where they pour the Coke, but they pour in like real cher- cherry syrup, and they put cherries in it. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was so yeah. good. That place is awesome. And I don't know if you've ever been, but the, like it's it's been around since the um, late 1800s, and it's, it's dope. It's oh. so cool. They've got the original soda fountain in there. They've got one like two walls covered with prints of old newspaper headlines and one of them that we saw was like the opening day of disneyland like newspaper front page oh Uh, it's really cool there's there's some neat stuff there it's worth checking out if you're ever in old town orange i totally recommend it i want to go check it out the closest i've come to something like that is out in pasadena california they have uh, a small pharmacy it's called fair oaks pharmacy oh yeah and it it is a pharmacy but they also have like a soda fountain counter and stuff like that so you can get the whole experience and it's been there for i don't know how many years it's probably not as old as this place that you're talking about Mm -hmm. But there is a vintage feel. They have vintage candy there as well. Yeah, so, this place did I mean, too. Depending on what side of the city you find yourself on, maybe you can make a trip to either one. Mm-hmm. But that one in particular, I've heard of it before. And because it is larger than Fair Oaks Pharmacy, 
I've always wanted to go. I've just never been in that area, you know, for that. Yeah. That whole area is like you could spend a whole day because it's just store after store after store of antiques. I mean, they have everything. Restaurants, coffee shops. They even have a Starbucks that looks like it's from like the 1930s. (laughs) It's cool. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, that's when it started. Yep. In Orange, California. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's cool. (laughs) Podcateers, where rumors start. (laughs) (laughs) Well, ah, man, there is so much that I want to get into this week before we get into our main topic. Uh, But there was one particular thing that I wanted to bring up uh, because they're doing a couple of interesting things on Disney XD with the Guardians of the Galaxy, like this miniseries cartoon that they're about to put out. Really? As of the recording of this episode, I think the first episode may have already aired. And if you have Disney XD now, the app, you can log in through your service provider and watch it there. But Gavin, you particularly would get a kick out of this. It's a four-episode story arc, mm-hmm. and each one of the episodes is animated in a different era style. Really? So the first one, yeah. So the first one takes it all the way back to like '50s type animation. The next one is entirely in CG, and so I, I, when I first heard about it, I thought, "Why did I cancel my cable before this?" <laughs> <laughs> Because Hulu doesn't have those. So unless I get the opportunity to watch them, you know, through other means, uh, anybody that still has cable might be able to see them on demand or, again, log in through the Disney XD Now app to check them out. I've seen screenshots. There was a preview video, which I will post in the blog post for this episode over at podcateers.com slash 255 if you guys want to check that out. I just thought it was one of the coolest things uh, that they've done in a while because they're bringing a lot of the new era animation and Mm -hmm. just mixing it in as an homage as they travel through time to all these other styles, you know, in history. That's really cool. I bet it'll be on Plus when you get Plus. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that's November, man. Oh, is it that far off? Yeah, that's November. I want it now. (laughs) (laughs) I want it now. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I believe there's a preview. They haven't announced it, but I remember when they did DuckTales, the first episode or two was available on YouTube just to entice people to go back and watch it. If that happens with this, I will post those in the blog post for the episode, so you can check them out there. Worst case, you'll get a chance to see the preview, and again, on demand or, the or the Disney XD Now app. Also, (laughs) there was, uh, you know, a little announcement this last week that Avengers Endgame has officially become the second highest grossing film of all time. Already? Already. 11 days in, already the second, and Uh. it is really on track to finally beat Avatar. Uh, that's crazy, man. Like that, that's just, now do they, do they, it's just pure dollar amount. Do they like adjust for inflation? Cause prices are different than they were when Avatar came out. Right. That's a great question. Like, that's the thing I that has know. always driven me a little crazy is that me it too. should be about number of tickets sold, not dollar amount, because that's totally different from theater to theater from era to era, from state yeah. to state. Yeah. Like, it should be number of tickets sold. That that tells you how many people went and saw it, not dollar amount. You know, because then I there agree. are the fancy theaters, too, where it's like $20 a ticket, but you're, like, sitting in a bar, you know, with service. You know what I mean? Right. And then there's, like, the $11 ticket. I don't know if it's adjusted for inflation or not, mm-hmm. but... What you are talking about, I wish they did do ticket sales that way unless they pay the studio a flat amount per ticket. Let's say it's a $6 per ticket, and then the theater itself keeps everything past that for themselves as profit. Oh, right. I, I mean, if you think about it like as a leasing thing, like it, it works on a per ticket sold lease to watch the movie. If that's how it's done, mm. then maybe they're just counting – 
the they are kind of counting the ticket sales, right? I but I don't know how that works. Yeah. Uh, it would be interesting. Maybe we can ask Skyler. Okay. Skyler might know. I bet he would know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll send him a message and then we can update it in the next episode. But I'm pretty sure that they somehow adjusted mm. for that. But man, Avatar has held that title for so long. As it should. It's awesome. I don't right? think anybody ever thought that any film was going to come close to it. Or, you know, really threaten that top spot. I mean, that here's the deal. All James Cameron does is just break his own record over and over, right? So, I mean, he's got, what, four more Avatar films coming out? And I then he'll so. make something else after that. And yeah, So, I mean, enjoy it while it lasts, Endgame. Enjoy it while it lasts. You really think that that would happen, though? No. <laughs> we're we're <laughs> no. in insane territory. <laughs> but that being said, you know, like you just said, nobody ever thought Avatar would be beaten. Now, nobody's ever going to think that Endgame will be beaten. And eventually, it'll be beaten. Yeah. Well, what was yeah. crazy is that James Cameron's last film, Titanic, held one of the top spots. Yeah, of course. Like you said, and yeah, he just huge. kept topping himself, topping himself. Yeah. Then we had Star Wars in one of the top spots, and now we have Endgame. It's exciting times, man. I I'm yeah. just so I need that film on Blu-ray already, <laughs> just so I can watch it over and over. the The emotions that have cycled through my body, believe it or not, still haven't fully purged. I'm still feeling a lot of them from watching it that first time. That's hilarious. What makes it worse is that the latest trailer for Spider-Man Far From Home dropped. And yep. Tom Holland starts the trailer off by saying, hey, look, if you haven't watched Endgame, don't watch this trailer because it contains some major spoilers. And it really? totally does. And so oh, yes. I oh I remember watching the teaser a month or so ago or two months ago, whenever the first one came out. And I thought to myself, oh, I wonder when this one takes place. Does it take place before Endgame? Does it take place kind of on a, you know, the same timeline? Is it after? And I understand why they held so much back from that trailer now watching this one. Mm. Because right from the beginning it spoils some major stuff in endgame wow oh yeah and it makes total sense why they lifted the yes. ban you know the don't the the campaign mm-hmm. to not spoil anything and i was like oh it makes yeah. sense because the russos officially wow. said last week hey monday may 6th that's the day that we're lifting the ban okay. that at any time after that just be careful because spoilers will be rampant. Yeah. And that was oh, yeah. because they knew that this trailer was dropping today. So are we spoiling it? Are we going to talk freely about it? Oh, yeah. We're doing it now. All right. <laughs> Here I am shaking my <laughs> head. Kidding. No. no, we're not. We are not to that point uh, yet. Weak. But weak. Uh, I have gotten some messages. <laughs> I know I mentioned it uh, an episode or two ago about talking about Endgame, talking about the MCU, you know, and there was some interest within us to talk about it. Uh, I've had some people message me about doing an episode or just doing like a special recording, just talking about the MCU, talking about Infinity War, Endgame, how it began, how it ended. And I'm excited. I think at this point, it's just a matter of syncing up everybody's time so that we can, you know, do this because some people are on the East Coast. Mm -hmm. And so syncing up everybody's times will be the most difficult but I really want to find a time that works because uh, I've just grown to love talking about that. Not just like the theories, but how it differs from the comics. And I feel that every time I've had an opportunity to talk to a Marvel nerd that I learn a whole bunch, mm-hmm. you know, aside from just the little things that I pick up here and there. So that's going to be exciting once we get that. Uh, oh, speaking of which... I've been talking to our friends over at the Die Hard Disney Nuts Facebook fan group, and we're trying mm-hmm. to work out a time so that I could do a live broadcast with them so we can talk about the podcast. Ooh. So nice. that's exciting. Very so cool. shout out to everybody there, Heck Ron yeah. and Mel. You know, they're awesome. They've always been super supportive of the podcast. So quick shout out to them and quick shout out to everyone on the DDN Facebook fan group. Uh, look for that soon. More information will be announced. 
make sure that you're on their page on our Facebook page and we'll announce it on Instagram and on Twitter once that's available um oh FYI uh, do you guys still watch SNL uh yes yes no. yes okay uh-huh. on YouTube mm-hmm. Uh, there is a skit that they did in this last episode. Adam Sandler finally came Ugh, back to host. Really? Ah, uh, we haven't oh, watched wow. it. Yet. His his cool. monologue was funny. Nice. But they did a skit that any Marvel fan and any Game of Thrones fan would appreciate because uh, they did Family Feud, Avengers nice. versus Game of Thrones. Nice. <laughs> nice. So I thought that was pretty funny, especially considering that for the last couple of weeks, it's all anybody's been talking about. Game of Thrones and Endgame. That's it. That's been on everybody's... Yeah. It's been a pretty awesome couple of weeks, guys. Let me tell you. (laughs) Gavin's face is priceless right now. (laughs) It's one of those like, yep, I'm so done faces. (laughs) It would have made for a perfect meme right, right there. Uh. <laughs> um, so with all that said, there's one major thing that happened this last week. We hinted at it an episode or two ago. And I, you know, quite frankly, I was a little bummed because I've been a part of things like this. And they just people's servers or company servers just can't handle the load. I'm talking about the reservations for Galaxy's Edge going live to the public. Now, we've talked about it in the past. Disney had offered reservations to anyone staying on resort. So any of the Disney hotels did have an opportunity at the first crack at getting those reservations. So a lot of the people staying there, you're going to see a lot of videos uh, in the upcoming weeks and a lot of pictures. And we had our first chance, believe it or not, the day I had a really large presentation all staff thing at work <laughs> that I just happened to be one of the people putting it on and was working. Easy to balance, right? <laughs> so Disney decided to open up the website at 8 a.m. This was on May 2nd. And at 8 a.m., mm-hmm. they made the announcement that at 10 a.m., <laughs> reservations would be available. Yep. But they did a really interesting thing. They created a sort of digital queue mm-hmm. where you were kind of in line without being in line. So it, it just kind of kept a marker in your web browser, like with a cookie or something, putting down the time that you landed on that page. And so every so often, the page would refresh and you would either continue to see that please continue waiting message or if you were lucky enough to get it super early on, you got a congratulations. You can now make a reservation for Galaxy's Edge and it showed a couple of different days, some times for you. If those were not suitable, you could click more times and it showed you more times. You were it, you had to log in using your Disney ID and you were able to bring five friends with you. So a total of six people uh, worked uh, on that reservation. I sat at work. Uh, I was kind of doing dual duty because I was paying attention to this event thing that we were running. But I had my phone open on that web browser and I was logged in and I just kept looking at the the screen hoping that it would refresh and I would see it refresh. I took an extra battery with a cable so I could make sure that my phone didn't die on me while I was, you know, waiting for this to happen. And I would say about 45 minutes into it, uh, I my screen refreshed. And it said, congratulations, you're making a reservation for Galaxy's Edge. Oh, man. And I freaked out. <laughs> and so and you were on stage me, in your presentation. <laughs> no, well, at the time, I wasn't presenting. But I did get a little giddy. And so I kind of started, like, shaking in my chair. And I'm like, <laughs> And so the people around me were like, what is going on over here? And so I signed all of us up and I I, I was just super happy. Uh, Our reservation isn't until the second week of June, but uh, overall it's 
sooner than the 28th when it opens up to the public. Uh, we do get a four-hour window, and I'm just I'm blown away, you know, because you know what we're gonna talk about some of the problems in a moment, but. I'm kind of blown away that we got a reservation. Me too. I said that before. Like, I just, I wasn't going to hold out a lot of hope that we were going to get it because of all the reasons you said and because they were giving first dibs to the resort guests. And I'm still shocked. I'm thrilled. I'm elated that we got those. But man, I can't believe we did. And I know a lot of people Mm -hmm. who didn't. So. We're kind of in the elite crowd, I guess. (laughs) I was almost one of them that wasn't going to get anything. And actually, I think out of everyone that I personally knew, I was the last one to get anything. And that's, yeah, within, I was able to get one like the mid to the late Mm -hmm. part of June. Oh, interesting. So very, very grateful and fortunate that that's happened. Because if not, I would have had to wait until, ooh, what, 10 days before? 2032. <laughs> now, wait, you said, because the reservations go through the 23rd of June, right? Is what I read. Yes. But Hazen, you just mentioned that we'd have to wait until the 28th of June. Are, is there a gap in there when they're going to like? No, I just oh. didn't remember the day. Oh, Okay. All right, that struck me as kind of weird, but cool. Yeah, no. Oh, my no. gosh. I'm, Melissa's right. I'm pumped. <laughs> and you know what's cool? I don't know if they're going to do this. They probably won't. But you know how, like, at the end of the night at Disneyland, like, you don't have to leave at midnight, you know? Like, especially if you're in line for a ride at 1155. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know. We might get an extra, like, 20, 30 minutes. You don't know. Like, that's kind of cool, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, overall... What do you think about the time slot, you know, the the idea? Because we talked about this uh, when we first imagined how they were possibly going to do this. And we talked about how Universal did this with Diagon Alley. And, you know, now that we've seen it, it's exactly what Disney is doing. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that for Diagon Alley, you had to go in person, swipe your pass, and then they told you, come back during one of these time frames. Mm-hmm. They were day of. They weren't necessarily done in advance. Okay. I guess with the anticipation of the crowd levels, uh, the the way that they did it, I think, was pretty smart. But then again... It, it looks like their servers did have a lot of problems for a lot of people because uh, I know some people that were sitting there waiting for their browsers to refresh for up to four hours and they never got a message saying that they were able to make their reservations. Now, the page itself did say that if you were on the page to not refresh it mm-hmm. because of this, you know, right. digital queue thing that they had created and it was an invisible queue. You couldn't tell where you were in line. You couldn't tell how many people were ahead of you, but it did specifically tell you that if you came back anytime after 10 o'clock and if you refresh your screen, you would lose your place in line. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if, Maybe people's web browsers were force refreshing and it was losing their place in line or they were somehow manually refreshing and they were losing their place in line, putting them further and further and further behind people because I left my phone alone. I logged in and I sat there. And I would physically see like the refresh bars fill up and then the page would slightly flicker. And I knew that it had just refreshed. But Outside of that, I almost feel like people's browsers were force refreshing the full page and they lost their spot or they were getting antsy and they thought maybe if I refresh my screen or go back or something, I'll get a better spot. So my screen kept refreshing, but I had someone or I had a friend who had their screen and once they found out that the reservations were happening, he actually started refreshing the screen himself. Ended up getting a reservation before I did. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and I believe he got in line a little bit after. There were people who were, like, commenting, saying that they were, um, let's say they logged in at, let's say, after 9. But they ended up getting a reservation, you know, later in the month. 
So I'm assuming it was basically like the first, you know, of course, the first week or for the first two weekends, you know, were just that's what was causing all the, the backup and whatnot. Yeah. Just that whole chaotic first mm-hmm. chunk. But um, afterwards, it's just I was able to just I, I was like, forget it. I'm just going to refresh it myself. And I was able to get a screen. Granted, everything was <laughs> pretty much gone, but it's better so, than nothing. <laughs> so when you finally were able to refresh into the screen that told you, hey, like all these days are gone, uh, you mm-hmm. had manually refreshed it. It didn't do it on its own. No, I was actually on in, um, at, since 8. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I, I had set an alarm on my phone for 945 mm-hmm. because I didn't know if I was going to be able to do any of this. But I knew that there was going to be something happening at 8 a.m. And thankfully, my cousin John, shout out to my cousin John, he kind of kept me in the loop. Like he was sending me text messages saying, hey, this and this is what's happening at 10 a.m. is when you're going to want to log on. You know, we're we're going to try to, you know, get as many people in. And a lot of people had plans because we knew in advance from the 8 a.m. announcement that you could bring five people in. So at that moment, I think yeah. people started asking themselves, OK, we're all going to try to make reservations. Who am I bringing with me? Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he was able to get their reservations. And I had told my boss, hey, look. 950 rolls around and I'm severely <laughs> going to have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and she's all like, "Why?" I was all like, "Because I have something coming up and I'm going to have to go to the bathroom." And she's like, "Oh, is this your Star Wars thing?" I was like, "Yes, it is." She's all like, "Okay, then you go to the bathroom." <laughs> so she already knew that something was going on. And then once John sent me the information that they were going to do this like kind of digital queue thing that you just kind of logged in and you waited, uh, I just sat there. I didn't have to go anywhere. I I literally just sat there just waiting, looking at my phone, running the thing, listening to what was going on on stage. And then when it finally came up, that's when I Homer Simpsoned out. And then people were wondering what happened. Uh, But overall, I didn't really do anything. Hmm. After after I logged in, I just kind of sat there. So I was pretty surprised that I eventually got something and that I got it so much faster than some people I feel were sitting there for really, really long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? I'm overall, I'm really glad that the site did not go down. It didn't crash. Um, yeah, I'm impressed. I thought that was awesome. I, I felt bad that initially like the you couldn't log in like that was kind of having issues i knew of other friends who couldn't log into the disneyland like you would say the general website to get into mm-hmm. the page but like i mean they were able to get reservations so overall i'm just glad that it how it went through like there was no like major you know outage or anything yeah. so if you got a reservation awesome you know, considering what it could have been worse or whatnot. I'm just glad I got something in the end. Yeah. And, you know, in all honesty, knowing how servers work, the website yeah. may have gone down. We just don't know it. They just did a really good job of hiding it behind that digital queue, mm-hmm. right? And maybe that True. was the reason that they did it that way because they – maybe were anticipating so many people hitting their servers that they needed a way to mask it in case it went down because some people did report that they were having trouble connecting and you know not being able to log in doesn't necessarily mean that they the website went down but it does mean that it got overloaded at that point in time so how many times that happened i don't know but overall the site itself we never lost a visual. So if they were able to yeah. keep it up completely, kudos. Because the amount of people I know were possibly hitting the server all at one time. Yeah. Disney's IT department earned their money that day. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm sure Disney pays them every day. They're they're an honest company. Well, I mean, I'm sure they pay them <laughs> biweekly. I don't think they pay them every day. No, they get paid for every day they show up, though. But no, yeah, I, yeah. I just, they did it. Yeah. A- Marvelous job. I am surprised because we all thought it was going to die that day. 
Yeah. <clears throat> well, we want to hear from you. If you had an opportunity to try to get a reservation for Galaxy's Edge and you were successful, join the conversation and let us know what your experience was like over on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. Uh, and if you tried to and didn't get a reservation, we'd also like to hear from you uh, and what your experience was like. Uh, were you on since 8 o'clock? Did you log in just before it started? Uh, because I I'm getting conflicting information, especially now with what you said, Mel, that, you know, really mm -hmm. disconnects the stories that I'm hearing outside of our group regarding when people connected, how long they were on. And some people did and didn't get reservations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we'd love to hear from all of you. All right. Well, before we get into this week's topic, uh, you know, I've been working on on what I'm going to talk about next week. Uh, and, man, there's just so many interesting things about Fantasyland. Uh, Gavin is going to take us into that wondrous world today. Oh, yeah. Uh, but before we do that, I do want to remind you guys that this episode of Podcateers is brought to you by the awesome FGP Squad. What is the FGP Squad? They are a group of listeners just like all of you that help us out with a monthly contribution via Patreon. If you would like to help us out and become part of the FGP Squad, you can do so by heading over to podcateers.com FGP for more information on how to join. And starting in June 2019, as we're ramping up for our five-year anniversary, we're going to start giving back to everyone on the FGP squad by doing giveaways of shirts and other swag in the gear section so stay tuned the first announcement was already made on patreon so again more information can be found over at podcateers.com fgp and to every member of the fgp squad thank you as always for your continued support okay gavin are you ready for this man I'm so ready Ah, let's do this, so dude. Excited. I'm excited about this. I, I love yeah. this area of the park Heck and yeah. the history. Uh, I, I love it. Let's just do this. Let's just jump in. Let's go. Let's go. All right. So as <laughs> Hazen hinted, we're going to be talking about none other than Fantasyland at Disneyland. And we're going to be taking a slice of Fantasyland. So we're going to focus on the dark rides today. Woo! <laughs> so, Fantasyland Dark Rides, this is what I call where the fairy tale comes alive. So, since that very first famous Lost Weekend in which Herb Ryman, with Walt hovering over him, created that epic first drawing of Disneyland that has become so legendary, Fantasyland has been a central concept to the park. It is possibly the most central, important, and influential land in all of Walt's original Magic Kingdom. For many people, Fantasyland is Disneyland, and the dark rides are a key to this magic. So yeah. many people don't know what the term dark ride means. I often come across people in my life, and I usually steer conversations towards Disneyland, whether they like it or not, uh, as, us as, Dis it yeah, as us Disney nerds do. And <laughs> oftentimes I have to explain what I mean when I say the term dark ride. So here's the definition according to Wikipedia, which I think is a very good definition. A dark ride is an indoor amusement ride on which passengers aboard guided vehicles travel through specially lit scenes that typically contain animation, sound, music, and special effects. So that's the basic definition of the dark ride. They actually date back to the late 19th century and are still being created and evolving today. So along with things like the carousel and the roller coaster, they are quintessential amusement style rides. So Fantasyland opened with three dark rides on its opening day, July 17th, 1955. They were Snow White Adventures, Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, and Peter Pan Flight. Eventually, two more dark rides were added to the Pantheon with Alice in Wonderland and Pinocchio's Daring Journey. Now, technically, 
It's a Small World could be considered a dark ride, but I'm keeping yeah. that one a little separate because it's kind of its own thing and it kind of deserves its own mm-hmm. whole episode. Uh, yeah. <laughs> also, um, hint, hint. by some definitions, <laughs> um, some people would consider mm-hmm. Matterhorn uh, a dark ride as well, but we're leaving that one out and we're going to stay with the Fantasyland castle area proper with our dark rides. So, nice. uh, very famous legendary people, Ken Anderson, Claude Coates, and Bill Martin were the main creatives on the original Fantasyland Dark Rides, with Bob Gurr also contributing to Mr. Toad. These four people basically created the modern definition of the Dark Ride, which was previously known to refer to cheap tunnel of love type attractions that you would see at carnivals and boardwalk amusement areas. Yeah. The Disneyland Dark Ride brought atmosphere, detailed set paintings, sculpted characters, lighting effects, ambient effects, innovative track layouts, and of course, reference material pulled right from the classic Disney films that ultimately made Disneyland possible. And we've seen plusings in the last couple of years that have included projection technologies to further enhance the experience. One of the key effects used prominently in the first three dark rides was black light and ultraviolet paints. This technique had already been used for dark rides previously, but the Imagineers, most of whom were animators and expert artists, really pioneered the use of this effect in the set and character paintings they created. Their skill as artists allowed them to create much more vivid, lifelike scenes. Of course, this is still largely the basis for the look of all Fantasyland dark rides. The dark rides are not all under the veil of black light, however, and even more artistry was applied to murals in the queues and the opening and closing scenes, both of which were typically lit with incandescent lights before the drama begins to unfold under the black light veil. So in 1959 and 1960, they did the first kind of major update and renovation of the Fantasyland Dark Rides. And this time around, Yale Gracie and Raleigh Crump were called to duty. They were assigned to the first major update of the Fantasyland Dark Ride effects, many of which just didn't work anymore. They had a lot of great ideas in those original years, but uh, they were doing a lot of things for the first time anywhere in the world. So some of those things just didn't work out. Uh, They added more dimension, more texture, better lighting, updated track designs, and infrastructure. Uh, One of the things that had to be updated a lot, I'm sure Hazen will talk about in the next episode, was the suspended track for Peter Pan. Much Mm -hmm. calamity happened in those first five or six years. (laughs) And it's kind of funny when you go down that particular rabbit hole. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then, of course, in 1982, Fantasyland was more or less stripped down to the studs, redesigned and rebuilt, this time with Tony Baxter at the helm. He and his team transformed the look of Fantasyland from a medieval tournament setting uh, to that of an, an eclectically European village of various ages. They found clever ways to visually unify Gothic, Tyrolean, Edwardian, and other genres of architectural design and created a fanciful tapestry that still delights today. The Fantasyland rebirth on May 25, 1983 has influenced many other Disney lands and attractions, as well as areas and other theme parks around the world. So, basically legend after legend after legend created Fantasyland. Uh, it, it's, it's really incredible when you look at the people who worked on it and the way that they worked together to create the kind of strange symbiosis that happens in fantasy land. All of those elements really shouldn't work together and yet they do. Uh, it's kind of like Adventureland in that way. Many genres yeah. coming together. They all kind of feel like they're different, but the same magic is what Mm -hmm. it is sure is so during that revamping in 1982 there was much trepidation on the part of the imagineers as they headed into the new fantasyland project but 
Ken Anderson served as a creative lead on both the 1955 version and the 1983 version, and he provided a kind of assurance that what they were doing was great. So Ken Anderson kind of is the through line that goes all the way through Fantasyland's history, and he actually goes all the way back to Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. So he was a part of the animation history that leads from that first film all the way through the creation of New Fantasyland. It's really incredible. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, really incredible. Yeah. So he was able to calm Tony Baxter and Co. down and say, no, 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 Walt would have liked this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Fantasyland attractions have been almost constantly updated, tinkered with, and plussed since opening day. And the three original dark rides are probably the most updated attractions in all of the park. So we're going to take a little tour of Fantasyland. I'm going to start as if we've just walked through the castle gate and I'm going to go left to Snow White and then we're going to go clockwise around the map and end with a preview of next week's episode. So we're going to start with Snow White's Scary Adventures. Subtitle, Dark and Gothic. Would you like an apple, dearie? (laughs) Exactly. So many offerings of apples. Uh, So Snow White is definitely the darkest of the Disneyland dark rides. Today, guests enter through the Evil Queen's ominous castle and pass by a creepy subterranean laboratory where it is clearly indicated that this attraction is not meant for faint-hearted little ones. This solves a problem that the attraction suffered in its first three decades as guests were not prepared for the scariness inside. Now, however, they would surely know by the time they boarded their minecart that this would not be a happy romp through Enchanted Woods. In the original version, also, Snow White was not present in the attraction because the guest was supposed to take on the role of the princess in her adventure. This was also the case with the other two original dark rides. Guests' complaints about the missing characters and confusion about this perspective they were supposed to have uh, wasn't addressed until the Fantasyland overhaul of the 80s when they were finally installed. Now, you said something that was interesting. You said that that was the scariest ride. Uh, I, I might rebut that. Really? Because I, I feel like there was another ride that is way scarier because you literally go to hell, dude. Well, we'll talk about that. Oh, but I was going to uh, Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. I, okay. And I... I feel like most people have a different reaction than fear with that scene. Laughter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's <laughs> so I, I absurd that. <laughs> that it's more chuckles than <gasps> gasps. Okay. All right, all right. Let's keep going then. <laughs> so by the time they got to 1982, the flat uh, set pieces in Snow White had been painted over so many times that many of the characters had become unrecognizable. They even discovered that somewhere along the line, two signs had become jumbled with one reading to Dwarf's Castle and the other reading to Queen's Cottage. So they totally put Castle and Cottage on the wrong signs. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell a little too much delegation happened at some point. Wow. Uh, This attraction features some of the most exquisitely designed scenes in the land. The most iconic of which is when you enter the bowels of the queen's castle and witness her transformation from beautiful queen to hideous old crone. This section and the dungeon scenes are my favorite. I love that attraction for the scenes inside the queen's castle. I think they're amazing. And I know black light effects are to many people passe at this point, but I still get a kick out of them. I love black lighting, yeah. and yeah. I think it's amazing. And the, those scenes in there are like the best examples of black light set painting. So, plus the transition that you're talking about, where where that transformation yeah. happens, it's so well done. Yeah. It's so smooth. It that, is. I mean, to this day, it's one of my favorite transitions in yeah. any attraction. I agree. It's almost like. Like, almost like stage magic like it's just like a, yeah. a stage trick where mm-hmm. it's like sleight of hand like it like it makes you think you're looking at one thing but then it turns around and you're looking at something else and mm-hmm. it's very well done i agree I, yeah i love that moment 
So with with the uh, redo in the 80s, they also expanded this track by 100 feet uh, using land previously occupied by the mine train through nature's wonderland. Sniff. (laughs) Right. We'll we'll do an episode on that one, too, buddy. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It still hurts. But even with this epic expansion of track, they were still left without not without enough room to include the final scene with the prince. (laughs) So they had to suffice with a casual mention on the wall at the conclusion of the ride. Uh, The sad prince always gets left out. Well, I mean, look, I mean, can't always get it. To be fair, he's know? barely in the movie too, so that's yeah, that's yeah, all right. Yeah, I think he got appropriate he... screen time in the attraction. Right, I agree. <laughs> yeah, he's not really needed right. or missed. Uh, one other interesting thing is the hologram apple effect near the end of the attraction was designed largely due to the fact that when the witch actually held out a physical apple guests could reach it and would often steal it and it became one of the most stolen items in park history interesting let's sigh all right so now we're going to journey a little deeper into fantasy land and head over to pinocchio's daring journey subtitle intense adventure So Pinocchio was not an opening day attraction, and many people assume it was, but it wasn't added until the 80s expansion of Fantasyland, and it actually took the place of the original Fantasyland theater. It also incorporated the Village House uh, restaurant into its structure. The motif of the facade is architecturally Tyrolean, which Tyrol is actually an area of the Alps, which now is in parts of Austria, Germany, and Italy. And if you don't know, Pinocchio is an Italian folktale, so that's why that influence is there. Uh, It is a theater with a puppet stage above the entrance, which helps indicate that we're revisiting the story starting at the point where Pinocchio has already been swindled into the actor's life. Uh, The journey guests experience is just as fraught with obstacles to morality and pitfalls of temptation that the film has. It also utilized some technology new to Fantasyland, most notably the Pepper's Ghost effect for the Blue Fairy. At the time of the opening, this attraction was actually the most advanced of all the Fantasyland dark rides, which is hard to believe considering it is probably the one considered by most to need the most updating today. Yeah. Which is sad for me because as we all know, Pinocchio is my favorite Disney film. So wait till we get to the armchair Imagineering episode. Oh, I'm sure you're going to (laughs) tear that one apart. Spoilers. Uh, There are several (laughs) incredible set pieces in the final segment of this ride, which is the segment that really keeps me coming back. So the segment where after we've encountered Monstro and we get back to Geppetto's village, uh, the ultraviolet paintings in this section are absolutely astounding. And to me, they give you that same incredible sense of depth that they developed in the shots of the original film when they were doing all the shots of the village. That's when they were really pushing the limits originally of that multiplane camera technology. And when you head into that section, it it makes me feel like I'm actually in the film. You're talking about that short segment where you see Jiminy Cricket coming down, right? Yeah, right you see Monstro? him come. You, okay, so you round the corner where Monstro is, and then you see Geppetto, and he's saying, Pinocchio! Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. And okay, you round okay. the corner, and yeah, Jiminy Cricket is like, we're almost there, or something like that. Yeah, okay. And you come around, and you're looking at the village, and you kind of go around a corner, a street corner, and you see Geppetto's workshop in front of you, and above it, you see the the star glistening. The star. And then you yeah. enter the shop. Like, those set paintings in there are so, so exquisite. I, I That's the part that keeps me coming back to that attraction. It's so good. I agree. And I would be so sad if it went away. Slash happy if it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So now we're going to jump to the other side of Fantasyland. We're going to stroll past King Arthur Carousel and down around the teacups. And we're going to make a right around the Mad Hatter hat shop. And don't ignore the restrooms. We're going to ignore the restrooms <laughs> and we're going to visit Alice in Wonderland. 
AKA Yay. the avant-garde <laughs> whimsical ride. So Alice, appropriately, was late for a very important date, not once, but twice. So it was originally planned to open with the original three attractions on opening day, but it missed it by almost three years as delays and budgets uh, stopped it from happening right away. So it finally opened in 1958. And then with the revamp in the 80s, it missed that opening by almost a full year and opened uh, in 1984. So the White Rabbit apparently keeps the time for Alice in Wonderland and it's just always showing up late. So if they ever redo it in time with another attraction, (laughs) it'll show up later, I promise. (laughs) Interestingly enough, it was originally conceived as a walkthrough attraction, kind of like uh, a lot of what we hear about the Pirates of the Caribbean attraction. Uh, They wanted And the mansion. And the mansion, too, yes. They wanted it to be walkthroughs and kind of some topsy-turvy rooms with some crooked stairs that you walked up with a slide that you slid down. Uh, But eventually... Basically, due to the delays, they were allowed time to concept more and they were allowed time to really come up with some creative ideas to get people into the Alice in Wonderland story. Uh, One of the cool things they decided to do was create it as a two story dark ride uh, when they realized that they had extra room above the Mr. Toad attraction. So this is the only one that is really two stories i mean peter pan kind of is two but you never really travel to an upstairs and a downstairs like you do in alice in wonderland um so there's a lot of dynamic movement in alice in wonderland you know so you're going up you're going down in several different sections and i just i think that's really neat um so it, it this delay also meant that they had time to make more three-dimensional sets and characters instead of relying so heavily on the original two-dimensional flat cutouts that the other dark rides had. Um, it also features the only outdoor section of track amongst the Fantasyland dark rides, which is kind of awesome. Uh, interesting fact, Catherine Beaumont, the original voice of Alice, Uh, came back to do the vocals in both the original version in 1958 and the revamped vocals in 1984. So it's kind of like Jody Benson and Little Mermaid, like the Alice voice is just always Catherine Beaumont. (laughs) It's kind of cool. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, And the location for Alice which was originally planned for where Pinocchio is now. Uh, The relocation allowed for a beautiful double attraction corner now with the teacups being right in front. And, you know, with the addition of the Mad Hatter hat shop right there, I love that we have kind of a little Alice in Wonderland corner of the the park. I think it's great. If it was on the other side, I don't know if they would have been able to pull all of that off because of where they had to move the teacups. So I'm kind of glad that it didn't end up over there. And, of course, recently they added projections to it, which, to me, just send this attraction to a new level. And, honestly, Alice in Wonderland is my favorite Fantasyland dark ride. I love it the most. I think it's the most consistently magical throughout. It gives you the most um, variety, I feel like, of color and character and effect and music and story and like you get so much you know i i love it so it's my personal favorite same you know what's crazy (laughs) about alice is that it it almost fits the story too as far as where it's located because in general i feel that sometimes people think that the Fantasyland dark rides are just the ones in around king arthur's carousel Mm -hmm. You know, you see the castle and then whatever's to your left and your right. But Alice in Wonderland is such an oddball story. It's kind of in an oddball place where it's kind of on the outskirts. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't want to be like all of you. I'm <laughs> over here by myself. Yeah. You know, it, it really fits where it's located. I agree. That's a, that's actually a really good point. 
And then, but on the flip side, it's also in harmony with the other ones that it lines up with because it touches Toad and Toad touches Peter Pan. And all three of those are, have English origins in their stories. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's kind of cool that one side of Fantasyland is all the English tales and then they're facing them as King Arthur Carousel, another English tale. So mm-hmm. I kind of like that, that symmetry as well, though. Nice. So yeah. I hadn't thought of that part. On that note, we're going to peel out and take a hard left turn to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, subtitle Zany Thrills. So, <laughs> so Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is wacky from end to end. It has always been the most frenetic ride in the park. And on opening day, it was actually considered to be the only thrill ride in the park. It features the climactic, impressive, yet simple train crash scene, followed by the most mystifying scene in all of the park. I'm speaking of the Hades or Jaws of Hell section at the end, which Hazen mentioned before. Uh, Apparently, Walt completely signed off on that from the beginning, so it was never a question of whether or not they could get away with it. And making a scene with that type of content in it was just, an afterthought and uh you know they they really enjoyed making that scene um in the 1959-60 update is when master sculptor blaine gibson actually came in to sculpt 3d versions of those little devils which were actually 2d in the beginning so another legend comes into the picture nice uh yeah so mr toad when i was a kid was my absolute favorite attraction like i loved everything about it and for that reason i love going on that ride still today i think it's just so much fun you can't not grin when you're on that ride it it's just pure happy to me like it's just this stupid idea of this car just careening through toad's own house at first and then how through this town and through the docks and down a train tunnel and then through hell at the end it's like what what okay and so because it's so wacky throughout and because that uh section at the end is so unexpected the first time you see it most people don't react with fear they react with either like a big question mark or just laughs because of the absurdity of it all and yeah it's just it's just so delightful uh you know it it almost got nixed just like the magic kingdom one in florida did uh when they were looking for places to put winnie the pooh and thankfully in california pooh was um put over in critter country um sorry country bear fans but uh toad was saved here at disneyland and i'm i'm thankful for that because to me uh especially since it's an original opening day attraction i i would just i would hate to see a fantasy land without it yeah uh yeah one final awesome fact um a single voice actor Corey burton the voice of ludwig von drake and captain hook performs every single voice in mr toad's wild ridge that that's cool is awesome yeah that's cool every single voice is that one voice actor there's a huge variety of voice types in that so next time you're on it just listen to all the voices and realize that is one super talented dude wow right Mm -hmm. so at long last we stroll back to merry old london to the clock tower and we're at peter pan's flight so this one i'm subtitling Living the fairy tale. Uh, I'm not going to spoil any of the history of this because that's Hazen's job next week. But I will just say this. To me, it's tough because that line is always so long. But about once a year when I board that attraction, it is the one that makes you feel most like you're living the fairy tale along with the characters. Uh, The fact that you actually get to fly to those locations above London. You, we all know what it is. Uh, it, there is a special kind of magic. It makes sense why the line is so long every day, all day, no matter what rain or shine <laughs> galaxy's edge or no right. galaxy's edge. It's going to be an hour <laughs> wait. Uh, so it, it, it's, 
one of the most pure successes that Disneyland has ever had, really. Um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about it next week. We will wax poetic about it as Hazen will enlighten us with lots of details. I feel like we could probably do an episode on each of the Disneyland yeah. Fantasyland dark rides. Uh, but Peter Pan is kind of the the big iconic one. So I'm actually excited to learn even more about it next week. But that concludes our tour of the Disneyland Fantasyland Dark Rides. I hope you've enjoyed your ride. Please exit now. <laughs> Let's that take cool. another ride. Right? <laughs> Honestly, that's what I do. Like I'll go to Fantasyland and I'll do the circuit and I'll just do it again. And I've spent like whole days just circling Fantasyland. It's yeah. there is something different and special and purely magical about it. And like I said at the beginning, it is to me the heart of the magic of the park. You know, I feel like yeah. Main Street is kind of yeah. like the heart of like Walt's presence in the park, but Fantasyland is like the heart of the experience of the park, you know, that escape yeah. to worlds where we don't have a care and even as a 40 year old man in the park by himself probably looking creepy now that i say that uh i love going on those (laughs) rides i just i really do i i think just don't offer kids poison apples and you're fine dude (laughs) okay i think right i think i can definitely uh accomplish that well uh gavin don't feel bad I'm a 30s woman who will hide in her hoodie <laughs> when she has to ride Pinocchio. Okay. <laughs> so don't feel bad. <laughs> so maybe the kids would be right. like, what's wrong with her? Sometimes I'll go on with family and it's like it. that ride, Stromboli, like really, really? still scares me. Oh, that's me. awesome. Yes. <laughs> so... You'll see me like in the fetal position. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with you. I always ride with my children. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, there are a couple of different dark rides that I could just ride on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Pan mm-hmm. is one of them. Alice in Wonderland is the other. Uh, I think if yeah. if I had a cho- well, actually let's let's all three of us do this. If you had a choice, like to to ride them in sequence from your favorite to your least favorite, Mel, what sequence would that be for you? First one, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. And now, so Alice in Wonderland's your top, and how? What would your sequence be to like your least favorite there? Least yeah. favorite, Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Okay, Gavin. I'm yeah. I'm the same. So for me, it would be Alice, and then Snow White and then Toad, and then Peter Pan, and then Pinocchio. Pinocchio is my favorite movie, but it needs some help. It really does. And I've got many, many Pinocchio ideas. So, like I said, buckle up. I I think our (laughs) lists are very similar then, except I I would put Peter Pan up at the top over Alice. Yeah, yeah. I think that... I, the the magic of Peter Pan is so much in the ride system. I feel like the actual yeah. um, sets and effects are from like A to Z better in Snow White than they are in Peter Pan. But the big effects that work and the ride system of Peter Pan yeah. are big. Like the highlights of it yeah. are big. The lowlights of it are lower than Snow White's lowlights. But... I feel like Snow White consistently is a little better. Not that I've thought about this and nitpicked every single one of them, but uh, that—that's why I put Snow White ahead of Peter Pan. That's cool. Yeah, I, uh, you know, thinking about the armchair Imagineering episode that we're gonna do about Fantasyland in a couple of weeks. I've really been thinking a lot about what I would like to see changed, and I mean, whenever we go into fantasy, uh, into Fantasyland. There's always these bottlenecks that I feel like we could just get rid of. Mm -hmm. And there's these things that I just would like to change. But at the same time, you know, listening to you talk about Fantasyland and talking about how it's the heart of the park, really. I I 
just agree with that so much because there's so much innocence and there's so much enjoyment just in that area knowing that it was there pretty much from opening day even though it's changed visually over the years uh things have moved Mm -hmm. you know from where they originally were the essence of the area is still there and i think it goes back to Walt's idea of having this area where his daughters could play and that families could take their kids. And, you know, like you said, Main Street is the heart of where Walt started off. But that's just an entrance Mm -hmm. to the magic. You know, everything else, we talk about the hub and the spoke and how everything leads to a different land. There's a reason why Fantasyland is dead center in the park. Yep. You know, why you walk straight into Fantasyland because that is what Walt visually wanted you to be led to. You know, there's no mm-hmm. turns left or right. You go straight in and that's where you can start. And then from there, you can go anywhere else in the park. Yep. So there is a lot of heart and soul in that area. Uh, but oh, man, it needs some improvements. <laughs> and so uh, I've. <laughs> I I had already started thinking about what I would change, you know, uh, weeks ago. But now I have this one idea that I don't necessarily want to change. I just want to build on it. And I just keep thinking like, ooh, and then what about this? And what about this? <laughs> and in my head, it's just, I know you tell me don't break down an entire area. And I joke about it all the time. I'm just going to demolish everything and start from scratch. This idea will allow me to not do that while rebuilding all at the same time. Nice. I like it. I, I like it. Interesting. Uh, I mean, I think we can find a, a happy medium. I think, you know, that first demolition of an entire land that you tried to pull off was the extreme. <laughs> and we've kind of reined you in. So I, I think you kind of understand the balance. So I, I'm gonna, I'm going to let you play. I'm going to let you play on this next one. Nice. All right. Nice. Don't worry. Uh-oh. I won't take down all of Disneyland like I did with DCA. I say that because I've got Much some epically huge ideas myself. <laughs> I only have one. Okay. But I think that the way that it's all going to play together, I think it'll be super fun. Cool. So. Uh, There's a little teaser for the Armchair Imagineering episode that's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks. Next week, uh, as Gavin talked about uh, a moment ago, next week I'm going to be talking about Peter Pan's flight. And the history, it is an attraction that apparently everybody loves because, you know, minimum one hour wait on a good day. Yep. Yep. And on a bad day, 17 and a (laughs) half hours. So, you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, I know you guys are going to enjoy that portion uh, of our fantasy land talks and uh i think that's gonna wrap it up for this episode what do you guys think Sweet. yep yeah yeah sure all right well um if you want to join the conversation and tell us what your favorite fantasy land attraction is make sure to follow us on social media we are podcasters on facebook instagram and on twitter leave us a comment let us know which one your favorite attraction is and if you could get rid of any attraction in Fantasyland because, you know, you just either don't like it or you think that you might want to put something better, what would you want to replace? I know we all have that one attraction that we just feel doesn't <laughs> need to be there. Which attraction would you replace? We're going to put you in the Armchair Imagineering seat today and we'll share your answers in an upcoming episode. And that's it. Ready? Yeah, let's go to Fantasyland. Is it taco time? No, it's Fantasyland time. You can get a turkey leg in Fantasyland. Mm, okay. All right. Fine. All right. I'll bring my own tortillas. I'll make turkey tacos. Ooh. Okay. All right. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So that's going to wrap it up for this episode. So until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Made you look. <laughs> <laughs>